Well, before we have our reading together, we'll just speak to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we give our thanks. We appreciate our God, the privilege that we have to come and say thank you. We think of those ten lepers, Lord, who were all healed. And there was one that came back to the Lord Jesus to say thanks. Our God, it's a privilege to come and to bow our hearts before you and appreciate your son. Now as we open up your word, we ask that you'll just speak to our hearts too and uh, guide us, our God, through your Holy Spirit to have an appreciation of what you have done for us. And we give our thanks and praise you together in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now we're just reading through a few verses in Romans. We're not going to go to Romans right away. That I really enjoyed, and uh, it made me get thinking about a particular topic. And so uh, I'd like to go to the book of Job, Job chapter 9. And we're going to be given a question that was instigated, in a sense, by the shortest man in the Bible. Now, remember. You know, my dad used to love all these little things. He would bring me up these questions all the time, you know, uh, about who was this and who was that. And in fact, the old folks, the, the, uh, I remember many, yeah, yeah, Eunice says, yes, I'm one of the old folks. Uh, yeah. I, I remember we used to sit around and play a game called 20 Questions. And uh, it was 20 Bible questions. Have you ever played that game? Well, some of you would sit around and they would think of something and then you would begin to start to ask them and you had 20 questions to figure out what they were thinking about. And quite often you can, you can actually come up with that because you can cut things in half all the time. Well, um, I remember one of the old gentlemen, he came up with one, he sat there for quite a long time thinking about it and then he says, well, I've got one now. So we started asking questions. Well, we were to 20 questions and beyond. We could not figure it out. And finally we said, all right, all right, what is it that you thought of? And he says, it's the street that's called straight. <laughs> I said, ah, that's about as obscure as you can get. Well, they would come up with all kinds of obscure, strange things. I remember Dad talking about this particular person. His name was Bildad the Shuhite. They said he's the shortest man in the Bible. Shuhite. That's my dad's humor. So uh, anyway... He, uh, he goes through here, and in Job, of course, we know what's happened to Job in the, in the terrible circumstances of his life. And um, Bildad begins in his first speech, and he begins to talk to him, uh, logically in some way, speaking about who God is and all the rest of that. And some of what he has to say is, of course, very valid. But he says, Lo, God will not reject a man of integrity, nor will he support the evildoers. So he gives out this principle, and Job in verse nine, chapter 9, verse 1 says, Then Job answered, In truth, I know that this is so. He's feeling the terrible situation that he's been in. But he says, How can a man be in the right before God? How can a man be in the right before God? I think the King James Version says, How can a man be just before God? And that's quite a profound statement and a statement to think about. How can a man be just before God? What's interesting, when you go to chapter 25, 
of that same book. Job chapter 25 and verse 4. Now we come to Bildad's final speech. And verse 4 he says, How then can a man be just with God? Now he's back to his question. He prompts the question and he brings up the question. How can a man be just before God? And truly it is a profound question for us. When we think of the holiness of Almighty God, when we think of of who He is, and then we begin to consider who we are, how is it possible that a man can be just before God? And back in the Old Testament days, truly that would have been a difficult question to ask. And uh, as they contemplated the, the power and glory and the righteousness of God, and we're thinking about Job and, and who he was and his character, then this question comes about. We find another interesting phrase or an- another interesting uh, statement in the Psalms on the same point. Psalm 143. Psalm 143, verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. This is a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplication. Answer me in your faithfulness, in your righteousness. And do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight, no man living is righteous. The thought, I think, in the King James again is no man living is justified. And justified means to be reckoned righteous. To to justify is to treat as righteous. To be right before God. And here you have this sweeping statement by the psalmist, David, who's a man after God's own heart. He's, He's sitting and contemplating and thinking as he prays to God and he's thinking about this relationship and he's concerned about as he comes and he approaches uh, this God who is righteous and he says in your sight no man living no man living is righteous no man living is justified well that would be a hard thing to take if we thought about it if we thought well God is in heaven and he's perfect and he's holy and that's where he is, and we're down here, and no man living is righteous. There's no way to bridge this gap between where he is and where we are. But I want us to take a look at a marvelous verse in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Now I have to say, when I read scriptures like this, I find it difficult to understand what it all means. How was it that the Lord was pleased to crush him? He's, he's, this, this, 
chapter, of course, is speaking of the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, the righteous one being the Lord Jesus, by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Here is this glimmer of hope coming into the world. The, the prophets of old had been looking forward and pointing forward to a time of one who was coming. And you wonder, don't you, when you read some of the words of the prophets, what did they understand? What did they really appreciate about the things that they wrote? What did the psalmist think when he wrote Psalm 22 about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me in the words of my groaning? And then the perfection of that, where he turns around and speaks of his hands and his feet being pierced and his garments being sold down to the finest of detail written in Psalm 22. And here, Isaiah, written in the 8th century B.C., some 700 plus years before the Lord comes and we find this revelation of the one who is the righteous one, the one who is his servant, and it says, and he will justify many. What a glimmer of hope. Because they had lived in hopelessness in a sense. They were looking for someone to come and to be able to bridge this gap, the gap between the almighty holy God of heaven and the sinful man here upon this earth. I was talking last week or week before last, well, Rachel and I went up to Louisville to talk to uh, uh, this gentleman that we picked up who had been hiking and walking. His name was Dieter. And anyway, uh, we, as we had our spaghetti together, we had a conversation again about what we believe. And, and, and it was interesting to me, one of the things that he said was, what I can't figure out is, why, why does religion still continue on? He said, I can't figure it out. Now, I was encouraged by that question. Because here's an atheist who doesn't believe in God, and he's bothered by something. Why does this continue on? So we had this wonderful conversation the other um, and I don't know if it made any impression on him. Uh, who knows? But uh, you know, we'll get together again sometime and we'll continue on with, with, with some of these conversations. But one of the things I was sharing with him is that, you know, you're, you're a logical man, you're a reasonable man. Uh, I said, when you think about it, I said, uh, you know, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you go back in the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of years, there are things written about the Lord Jesus that are absolutely precise about this one who came. How do you explain that? Now, he knows that the Old Testament, he gave us a book called the Old Testament Scrolls. 
So he knows that there's Old Testament uh, uh, Dead Sea, thank you, Sharon. Dead Sea Scrolls. It was about the Dead Sea Scrolls. So he knows that those writings were, were there. And I told him, Dieter, I said, you know, you were just telling us you were over at the library. I said, what were you doing at the library? You were spending your time reading newspapers. Where do you read the newspapers from? Oh, I, I like to see all the world, hear about all the world events. I said, you're a man of faith. What? I said, those people, you were, were you there? Did you know that happened? Did you see that cyclone coming? Did you know all the things? But you believed it. You read it. And that's the way we are as Christians. We read the word of God. We're men and women of faith. And here this scripture is written so long ago. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify the many. This glimmer of hope and will bear their iniquities. So let's take a look now and see and appreciate what God has done for us. Romans chapter 3, please. See, we come to this time of the year, and of course, it's Thanksgiving, and we're all very thankful. And one of the things that we were thinking about this week was we were going to go through our week giving thanks. Giving thanks for each other, giving thanks for the assembly, giving thanks for the Lord's work, giving thanks for families and all. I hope you had a good week of giving thanks. It's good for us to spend time focused on giving thanks. And, and the more we learn from his word of who God is and what he's done for us, the more thankful we should be. And that's what my, my desire is and focus is this morning, that we'll have an appreciation uh, of what the Lord has done for us. Because it's that that just enriches our heart and brings us back to appreciate before the Lord what he has accomplished for us. Uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, for there is no no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So here we see this word justified, again, to be made right with God, to be made righteous. If you look through the book of Romans, if you go through here, you'll find a great theme on the justification by faith and by grace and by His blood. And uh, it's a marvelous study. I commend it to you. But he gives us this, this, this uh, expression here that we are uh, justified as a gift by his grace. For <coughs> he says here, all have sinned. He brings us back to the point of where we were. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
It's very similar to what the psalmist had said, which is that in the sight of God, there is none who are right. In the sight of God, there is none who are justified. When we think about it, we think of how uh, the young lawyer came to the Lord, and he wanted to have eternal life. And when he came to the Lord, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord says, well, uh, do the Ten Commandments. And he says, you know, you're to honor your father and your mother. And he goes through the, through the list, and the lawyer says, uh, trying to justify himself, well, I've done all those things. And so then he says, well, then go ahead and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And of course, the Lord knows the heart, right? So he knows the heart. So the Lord looks at the heart. And here's a man who's trying to justify himself. I thought that was an interesting phrase when I went to that story and took a look at it. He's trying to justify him. We'll never justify ourselves. We'll never justify ourselves. Our justification is in Jesus Christ, being justified as a gift by his grace. So one of the first aspects we need to understand and appreciate is your justification and my justification is by grace, is by the unmerited favor of God. We had no way to be justified. We had no way to be made right before God. And we could have gone through our lives attempting to be as good as we possibly could. And we would never be justified because of the standard of our God who is holy. He's without sin. And it's sad when you think about that today. There are people who are going through this life who are trying to be self-justified. They are. They spend a lot of time trying to be self-justified, feel good about themselves. And, uh, and you and I know that that's futility. Then let's take a look at the second aspect of justification. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 1. And in my Bible, it's, this chapter is entitled, The Results of Justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Grace and faith, how marvelous they go together. And so we're, we're given this, this thought that our justification is through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, His work is all sufficient. There's nothing left that needs to be done. I feel concerned when, when you have some theology that would suggest there are things that we need to do to add to ensure our salvation. I remember having a long conversation with uh, a young person from the Church of Christ. And we were talking about this whole issue of salvation by faith and then baptism, which, of course, they link the two together. 
and uh, also a conversation one time with a, uh, a young person, again, a young man from the Mormon faith. And we spent a tremendous amount of time talking about salvation by faith and uh, what is accomplished through that, uh, through the uh, great eternal work of Christ upon the cross and its all-sufficiency. You see, anything that takes away, anything that takes away from the work of Christ upon the cross is anathema to God. You, you, you can't add to something so profound as that. And we are so thankful that of, for the sufficiency of the work of Christ. And uh, previously in this chapter, verse 25, he says, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. This person of the Lord Jesus, the word because here really should be thought of on account of. And it goes back to Isaiah 53 which says that we'll be justified because he will bear our iniquities. He will bear our sins. And so he was delivered over because of our transgression, and he was raised because of our justification. How thankful you and I should be as we begin to contemplate and understand the great eternal work that has been accomplished at Calvary. And you and I, as we stand as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand justified by grace it's a gift you've been justified it's a gift freely and we have been justified because of the great eternal work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross and verse 3 then says and not only this so he goes on he's thinking about here this wonderful place that we have being justified and having a relationship with our God and then and then and also being able to exalt in the hope of the glory of God and then he says but not only this but we also exalt in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings perseverance perseverance proven character proven character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, in our justification, when, when, when before that we had no relationship, we had no, uh, we had no way to glory in God, we had no way to uh, uh, have a relationship with Him, but He says, but now, but now, we can go through and we can, we can even exalt in our tribulations. We can exalt in the things that we have to go through. Because now we have a totally different kind of a relationship. Instead of being dead, we're alive. Knowing that this brings about perseverance, proven character, hope. The qualities of life that God wants for us to have. An encouraging thing. And then thirdly, Let's look at that same chapter, verse 9. 9 to 11. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
through whom we have received the reconciliation. So now we see in verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood. I wrote down a note here. The divine righteousness and human sin are opposed to each other. But by grace through faith, the redemptive work is imputed to you and me that we may be justified before God. The work of redemption is through his shed blood. So, it's a gift. It comes by faith, but the foundational aspect of justification is because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the price that had to be paid for you and I to be just. When we think about it, how, going back to Job's question, how can a man be just before God? How can a man be just before God? Hmm. Of ourselves? Never happen. It'll never happen. But the answer coming through Isaiah, the prophets, and finally through the reality of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming to the earth, the reality is, how can man be just before God? It's through the gift of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he has... He has given his life. His blood has been shed. And you and I have been justified. Justified. What a place. And it should make us appreciate what has been accomplished for us. Because when you think about it, there's a lot of people walking around this world who are trying to be self-justified. And it will never happen. And you and I, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, we stand just before our God. That's a remarkable thing when we consider how awesome our God is. And then finally, one last verse in Romans chapter 8. Again, I commend this book to you. Of course, there's so much in here. There have been people who have gone through, of course, the book of Romans and taken years <laughs> uh, and study and appreciation of it. So this is just a slight uh, momentary appreciation. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. That's a great verse. Something to contemplate and to think about. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. There's, a, there's an absolute wonder about our God. When we think about the God who has all authority and all sovereignty, the one who says, um, whatever he says goes, as it were, and he has all authority. And it says here, he predestines, he foreknew, and he predestined those to be conformed to the image of his son. And then he says, and he called them, 
and he justified them and he glorified them. You and I are seen in the eyes of God as being glorified. You're glorified. Why? Because there's something precious about you? No, there's something wonderfully precious about his son. At the old age home, last week when we were there, we were thinking about the prodigal son. And we were thinking about when he came back to be reunited with his father, his father was so excited to see him. What did he do? He got a, he got a new robe and he put on him. And he got a ring and put it into his hand. And guess what? That's how you and I are seen today. You and I are seen as clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it was wonderful to think about the gift that has been given to you and me. We've been read about here about the Holy Spirit. See, when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, the word there is, is the thought of an engagement ring. So you and I have had you and I have a ring too. It's the engagement ring. It's the it's the, the good deposit. It's the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for those who are his. And what a thrilling moment it is. But in the meantime, he sees you and me as clothed in righteousness. He sees us as being glorified. But we will really only know the absolute reality of that when we see him face to face. That is going to be something. When we are transformed when we are changed in the twinkling of an eye, when we're caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, that's going to be wonderful. And then he says in verse 31, I realize it starts a new paragraph. In verse 1, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? What do we say to these things? What do we say to these things? We have been predestined, called, justified, Glorified. What do we say to these things? Wow. If God's for us, who can be against us? How thankful you and I should be for what has been accomplished for us. You have been justified by grace, by faith, by his blood. And isn't it wonderful that we get to come back and to say thank you? So we bow. Our Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. It humbles us when we realize, oh God, what has been accomplished for us. We were in this world without hope and without God. But our God, we thank you and praise you that you sent for us your son. And even though we had no way to be just before you, because of what he has done for us, we have been justified in your sight. Our God, we praise you for this. We give our thanks this morning for all that has been accomplished. And may it be that we'll go through this week and truly say thank you and to appreciate as we go each day to praise you, Lord, for all of your goodness. And we ask, please, your blessing and encouragement as we go along the way. We remember this morning, very specially, our brother Addie and the loss of his mom. And we know, our God, that he'll be feeling terribly separated from his family so far away in Nigeria. And we pray that you'll just uh, help him, Lord, and all that uh, comfort and encourage him. We pray that he'll be a help to those back home throughout, through his communications with them. 
And uh, we just pray that you'll overrule for him to just give him a comfort of heart, please. And so we just bring him to you and ask this as we give our thanks now for your goodness. In the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.